Hey everyone, and welcome to another Overflow Pod. We're going through Daniel and looking at being unshakable no matter what you go through. Daniel has been through two tests so far, and in this pod, we're going to look at the third test. The first test was when he was taken to Babylon to still hold on to God's promises or to hold on to the king. The second test was when he was asked to conform into the perfect person of his new king, Nebuchadnezzar, and eat from his table and disobeying God's dietary commands. And he passed that one. So now we're on the third test, and that's education. It's the last test Daniel has as a youth. And if you're starting this series, go back and listen to the previous pods first, or else you might be a little lost. You see, starting at the age of five, sometimes even three or four, and even two, my kids, it was three. You're going to spend the next, oh, 19 years or so getting an education. Hopefully that education will continue learning the rest of your life. And education is a great thing. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about the importance of getting an education. And the Bible says we're to love God with our minds. So how do you love God with your mind? Well, you do that by using it, developing it, learning, by not wasting it, by ultimately educating it. Proverbs 19.8 says, the one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. I love this uh, translation. It says, do yourself a favor and learn all you can. Then remember what you learn and you will prosper. You're doing yourself a favor when you get an education and then remember it and you're going to prosper. It's not by accident that in almost every country of the world, the first school and the first hospital were started by Christians, started by the church. So your education doesn't end with school. To be successful, you're going to be learning the rest of your life. You see, Proverbs 24, 5 says, wisdom brings strength and knowledge gives power. Somebody said knowledge is power. Do you know where that comes from? It came from the Bible. The Bible is the first to say that knowledge is power. So if you want to be strong, if you want to be powerful, learn as much as you can. Get an education. Wisdom brings strength and knowledge brings power. But the Bible also says you need to be careful about your education. You need to guard it because you need to learn the right stuff. Proverbs 4.13 says, hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well for it is your life. And we're going to be talking about how to do that today. You see, before every blessing in your life, there's a testing and God tests you with stress before he blesses you with success because he trusts you with success. He tests you and then he trusts you. So let's recap what Daniel's been through so far. The most powerful empire of the world, Babylon, modern day Iraq, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, most powerful man in the world, comes in, crushes Israel as a neighboring nation, destroys the city of Jerusalem, takes a quarter of the Jewish population as POWs, 25% of the country is then taken back to Babylon for 70 years. They're held captive, and one of those in the POW group is a young teenager named Daniel. He's only 15. He has three good friends that the Bible talks about. He's in a brand new country, and they are now going to be creating or being a part of an indoctrination program so that they are no longer who they were. They're given a new identity, new name, new religion, and new food. Everything changes, and they're going to make them Babylonians. You're going to forget God. But Daniel and his three friends actually get chosen for the program. They're going to be educated. And they're probably pretty excited about this. I mean, they're, you know, they were just POWs, but now they're going to be an important part of this new kingdom that they're a part of.
but I'm sure there's a little bit of fear and a little bit of excitement, kind of like when you go off to college. Sounds pretty great. However, a lot of the courses that they're going to learn are totally anti-God because the Babylon culture was filled with polytheism, multi-gods. It was a pagan education system. Daniel 1.4 in the message paraphrase says, indoctrinate them in the Babylonian lore. That's like the myths and stuff of magic and fortune telling. Okay. Do you want to be educated in magic and fortune telling? This uh, education system was designed to produce psychics and fortune tellers. Why? Because the Babylonians were incredibly superstitious. They're going to have to learn a lot about that stuff that they obviously don't agree with and don't believe. But God had prepared Daniel and his three friends. Verse 17 says, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. These guys had already passed two important tests, major change in peer pressure, and they came out with flying colors. Now God gives them an even bigger test. And the test is, can you study in a pagan school and not lose your faith? And if they pass this one, they're going to get promoted again. See, every time you pass a test, you get promoted. The problem, as I said, with this Babylonian school system is that it's totally ungodly. And they learn all kinds of weird stuff and occultic practices and false science and fallacies and bad logic and reason. However, not everything the Babylonians believed was bad. In fact, the Babylonians gave us some good stuff. They were the first to discover the planet Jupiter without a telescope. They were great students of the stars. But it wasn't for science. It was for religion. It wasn't for astronomy. It was for astrology. The Babylonians believed that there were many, many kinds of gods and that they spoke to us every day in omens by what color the planets were. So if the moon was the color, then one of the gods was saying this. If Jupiter was this color, then one of the gods was saying this. And where it was rose, you know, the zodiac, they invented it. They invented astrology. So it wasn't about astronomy, a legit science. It was about astrology, a fake religion. They believed that God spoke through all these stars and stuff like that. So you got your mystics, your psychics, your fortune tellers, your scargazers. And that's what they're going to learn. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is not really that great of a program, but they did learn some stuff. For instance, here's something else that they learned. The 60 minutes on your watch, the reason we have 60 minutes in an hour is because the Babylonians thought the number 60 was a magical number. So they divided the hour into 60. Talked about 360. 360 degrees in a circle. That's from Babylon. It's a root of 60. Magical number. There's still some leftovers of why, of what they did still in our society. Daniel 1, 18 to 20, it says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. So they're 15 year old when it starts. They go through the three year program. They're now 18 years old. They graduated and now they're an advisor to the king. That's what you call graduating with honors. <laughs> Verse 20 In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. <laughs> Obviously, they weren't the same kind of people as everybody else. Whether you're a student now or education the rest of your life, how do you learn what the world wants to teach you without losing your faith? 
to be like Daniel and his friends. That's an important thing to know. Because your education actually is only as good as the content you learn. You can go to school all your life, but if you're learning fake, false, phony, unscientific, untrue content, it's not going to help you. This happened in our country. Where we've shifted things, where we learn things, and that come to realize later, that's not true. Or that things that are changed in our society. In 1962 and 63, the Supreme Court decided in three major court rulings, to take the Bible and prayer out of school in 62 to 63, 19, look it up. But to that time, for over 300 years, the Bible had been the primary textbook in public education. Most of the Ivy League schools were started by pastors to train pastors. Harvard, Yale, absolutely. Princeton, started by pastors to train pastors. Every single Ivy League school, except Cornell, was started that way. So the Supreme Court takes 300 years of the Bible all of a sudden out of the public schools. And a lot of people thought, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe they're just taking religion out of schools because for reality, church should talk about that, not schools. I mean, that's a great thing. Church should focus on your spiritual learning while school teaches you fundamental learning like math and language and history and geography, science and health. Because you don't want to hear geography when you go to church. That's a school subject. But here's the problem. They didn't just remove a religion. What they did was they took out Christianity and then they replaced it with another religion called secular humanism. You say, well, that's not a religion. Yeah, it is. It's like like Buddhism is a it's a religion without a God, but it's a religion. The founder of modern education was John Dewey, and he was very famous humanist, and he called humanism our common faith. And in 1933, a group of educators got together to write the Humanist Manifesto, which Dewey and many other famous educators signed. And in that document, secular humanism is called a religion. Julian Huxley, a famous atheist of that day, called secular humanism religion without revelation. In other words, without a Bible, without a text. And in fact, in 1961, Two years earlier, the Supreme Court had actually ruled in a decision that secular humanism is a religion. So the Supreme Court called it a religion, and then they took the Bible out two years later and put that one in. And that's really the problem, because they substitute one religion for another. Now, if you grew up in public education like I did, and you probably did that too some years, you've heard people belittling the Bible, attacking your beliefs, contradicting your values, ridiculing your faith, laughing at your moral stance, your values, and your ethics. And they're going to laugh at that. And there are going to be some people who try, and some maybe a few who get you to doubt the Bible or deny your faith or whatever. And if you go to college and if you're a freshman and a secular teacher starts to attack you, it can be pretty intimidating. I went to the University of Delaware for my undergrad. And I really enjoyed my time there. I took all kinds of classics from physics and chemistry to history and philosophy. And what I found during my four years was that my college was not really anti-God except for one department, the religion department. And in fact, I had the best conversations about God with philosophy professors. And usually you would think that they would be the one against it. But surprisingly, they're the ones who had open minds, which... Maybe that was the product of the times. This was the 90s. So maybe that's different today. But my favorite professor was one where 
we went over four major philosophical approaches to life and government. And every time we came to a different philosophical approach, he argued that it was his favorite. And it was amazing how he wanted us to think and come to our own conclusion and not just force us to believe what he believes. In fact, he ended the class with no one knowing what he truly thought. I'll be honest, that was the best education that I got in college. To get that one principle where he wanted us to open our minds and class to think and come to our own decision. Now, I don't know if it's the same way. I doubt that's how it is now. They probably, they want to just spoon feed you. But he said, you know what? I want you to think and I want you to be a better person. Now, I know he wasn't a Christian. I know that. But he didn't belittle anybody. He just challenged you. Now, the one class in college I eagerly looked forward to was biblical and classical literature. And I thought, what better way? I can study the Bible and get credit for it? Oh, yeah, this is great. Now, each class, it was about a half and half class. So there was a biblical part and a classical part. And the classical part was looking at religion in other non-Christian societies. And the classical part was great. And we did that first. And we read the Epic of Gilgamesh and some other mythos. And I learned about all kinds of stuff I had no idea about. And then we got to the Bible part. Now, the teacher of the class was an ordained Episcopal minister, and I put so much effort into this class, but I was really disappointed after the first time he talked about the Bible. He would constantly say things the Bible didn't say, and then he would mock it. And I was like, what's going on? Aren't you, like, ordained? What is your, like, you don't even know what the Bible says. You're, you're quoting scripture that's not scripture. And he allowed people in class to ask questions, so I got so upset that first that first class of biblical lit i raised my hand and he called on me and i challenged him very politely and i said that's not what it says and then i read what the passage says and i said in fact that's the exact opposite of what you said well then he hemmed and hawed and he goes well you know it's not true it doesn't really matter who cares what it says and at that point i realized you're just going to bash the bible aren't you supposed to be teaching this as a text and you're just going to bash it. And then I realized, what about the classical stuff that you taught for half the semester? If you view that as fluff too, then how can I trust anything that I've learned over this entire class? Now, I wasn't the most mature person in college. In fact, I was probably more on the level of juvenile. <laughs> I was very immature. Let's put it that way. And so I decided to be a jerk about it. And I began to challenge every single thing he said. Everything he said about the Bible, I rose my hand. Eventually, I just stopped raising my hand and I just talked. I was like, that's not what it says. You're making this up. I would constantly interrupt and corrupt him and urge to actually teach what it says. I then questioned the accuracy of what he taught on classical if it was really true since you're making this stuff up now. Well, that set off a firestorm where every class we argued and argued. And the kids in the class thought it was hilarious because, you know, college kids, we, we're, we're just like punks. And every kid came up to me and, and was like, you got to keep it up, man. This class is the best class we have on campus. Now, they didn't learn anything about God or the Bible. They just wanted to see me argue with the teacher. And I, I, I just flipped. And I knew it was a war zone of misinformation, so I just refused to back down. And he ended up grading me poorly on it. But the first half, I did so well, I ended up getting a B-plus in the class. Because, obviously, I had the best grasp on the material, but I was an obnoxious little twit. (laughs) 
Well, most students and even adults don't know. And there's something that you really need to know out there is that not everybody is against God. In fact, if you actually look at the Bible, or not the Bible, if you actually look at society, the number of real atheists in the world is minuscule because that's what that guy was. He was an atheist and he hated God. And I found out the reason why he hated God was because something happened to his family. So he blamed God. So it's better just to think that God doesn't exist than to blame somebody that holds the life in his hand. Anyway, but the actual amount of people is quite small. If you look up the actual number, it's it's pretty small and it keeps going down, except for in a couple places, major cities, Europe, and universities. <laughs> Teachers have tenure and they can believe whatever they want. And they hire the people that follow their viewpoint. But in fact, the number keeps going down. Christians, students need to know about this. The world is not getting less religious. It's getting more. The future is not secularism. It's about religion. It's about, you know, Islam and Christianity are two fastest growing religions in the world. Islam is growing through birth rate and Christianity is growing through conversions. So you're going to have to learn how to live in a pluralistic world of people who disagree with you, not just people who are against God. Because people nowadays use the word spiritual to totally define themselves. But in reality, it's just another form of religion. It's just, it's non-defined and it's different from person to person because they just want to get the rid of the negative connotations associated with the word religion. So it's now spiritual. So since public schools, particularly universities, are the seedbed or the primary bastion of unbelief, that's where I say that the, the focus of education is, or the test, the test of education is. And one of the reasons is because one of the big ideas held in schools is that all truth is relative. So what's right for me is what's true for me may not be true for you. And what's true for you may not be true for me. And opinions are relative, but truth is the truth. It is, if it's true, it's always true. If it was true a thousand years ago, it will be true a thousand years from today. Gravity doesn't change. It's been around forever. But the but people like to teach, teach that truth is relative. They go so far to say there's no absolute truth. And whenever you hear that, you say, are you absolutely sure? <laughs> Nobody believes that, though. But they teach it. Everything is relative. It's just so they can do what they want. So it's true for them. You know? But nobody believes it. Because if everyone believed that truth is relative, nobody would stop at a red light. Try and tell that to a police officer after he pulled you over. Try to argue with him about what is true and what is real. And then you go to court and do the same thing and fight the ticket. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to lose. There are some things that are always right. And there are some things that are always wrong. And opinions aren't always equal. I could say that the moon is made out of silica or rock. Or you could say the moon is made out of peanut butter. Or the moon is made out of spaghetti or Swiss cheese. Those are not equally valid ideas. Yet some people say all ideas are equally valid. That's crazy talk. If that were true, you could pick up the phone and dial any number and get home. No. The fact is, in the entire universe, there's only one and only one number that will get you to your house. Every other number you dial will be a wrong number. Some things are wrong and some things are right. You just say, I can dial any number and get home. It doesn't work that way. There is absolute truth. Now, for me, the Bible is the source of truth that gives me hope in a hopeless world. It gives me the promise of salvation based on Jesus' love for us. 
that he died for us on a cross, bearing our sins and all the punishments that we deserve. And he takes them on. And if we ask, he forgives us of all our sin and we enter into a relationship with us and he provides us a home for all eternity. That faith that I have in God and his promises is tested many times in my life, just like Daniel. And education is a huge test. They don't really talk about it in Daniel. They just say he went through this thing for three years. Imagine listening to them talking about the color of Jupiter is white and this is what it means. Oh, that would get old real fast, real quick. Education is a huge test to our faith that almost every single person has to go through unless you're in the very small minority of you were homeschooled and then you go to a Christian college or you enter a trade, you will have experience where educators will teach you and try to undermine your faith just like the Babylonians did with Daniel. Now I was fortunate in my first year of college to have an amazing secular teacher who didn't want me to just regurgitate what he said to me, but rather think through the answer. What an amazing philosophy teacher. I wonder if he was an enigma. I was also fortunate to have a terrible Bible teacher who forced me to study God's word so that I could refute his nonsense in front of the entire class. Talk about how God was behind the scenes making it for good. (laughs) He got me to study the Bible just so I could refute some jerk, just so I could make him look stupid. And that's what I did. Now I handled that situation terribly wrong. Don't get me wrong. But God still took some good out of it by helping by letting me study the Bible more than I ever had before. And I learned more in that class than anything else. See, the test of education that Daniel and his friends had was not easy, but they passed because they didn't forget God and his promises. That is the way to make it through the test of education is to remember God's promises in his word. And remember, not everything that we learn is bad. I mean, most of it is good stuff. I mean, we learned so many good things in school. Education is great. The problem is, is that you have to look out for how they try to destroy your faith in God and his promises. Well, I hope that encourages you today. In next pod, we're going to look at how to excel in education when that relativism, remember, whatever truth is whatever you want it to be, is actually a fundamental position of humanism. How do you deal with that? Well, God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod.